0: Be be slightly careful though of things like running, particularly. I find that running. Um, I played rugby growing up. Obviously, we know each other from jujitsu. I've done boxing, swimming, everything. There's something different about running. There's something different about long distance running. When you start it, you start getting a little bit euphoric. It's a bit like a drug. Uh, yeah, so I, I will do that because you're going to take, you're going to get your ba- best, what we call chrono chronobiology advantage at that time. The other thing as well is if that that's mainly when you're training and you're feeling good. Take advantage of it, Nevin. Like, use these things to your, to your, um, to your advantage, for example. Um But from consultation with physiologists and dietitians, iron gets depleted over time as well. But also the timing of iron is key as well. So if you look at some of Peter Peeling's research at University of Western Australia, he advises the Olympic uh, Committee on this and Olympic, Olympic athletes. You have to um, basically offset your iron supplementation against the time of training. So if you train in the evening, you're best off having the iron in the morning because it's better absorbed into the body.
1: Ian, thanks for uh, for jumping on um, Zoom with me uh, this afternoon. I really appreciate your time. I had no choice. But <laughs> for everyone that's a that's a, a returning listener, um, Ian's actually or Dr. Ian Dunnekin is actually. Um, the other half or the better half of the most popular podcast that I've put out to date in terms of minutes watched, the uh, Sleep for Performance podcast on the Strength Institute podcast. So, uh, so this one's a little bit different. This is my running a marathon little mini series where I'm hoping to pick Ian's brains about both uh, some endurance training, but also sleeping for performance. Um, and, and for those that are tuning in for the first time, um, Dr. Ian Dunnick in here is here, he's got a PhD in, in sleep sciences. Um, and also himself has a history of endurance um uh, conquests, I guess, in, in terms of ultra marathons and uh, marathon distance runs. So uh, so thanks again, Ian, for jumping on with me. I really appreciate it.
0: No problem. I uh, I had no excuse because uh, I was stuck at home and uh I couldn't say I was aware, so I had to say yes, didn't I?
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, well I appreciate <laughs> it nonetheless.
0: Um nah, anytime, time, Nevin. I'm just I'm just joking. Anytime. Yeah. No,
1: I know. Uh, I, I guess um before we get uh, too much into it, could you just name a few of the sort of, you know, marathon and endurance-based um, uh, events that you've done?
0: Yeah, so probably the most famous one I've undertaken twice has been the Leadville 100 Miler, which is a race at altitude in the Colorado Rockies that goes for 100 miles or 170 Ks roughly, um, and that goes from about 10,000 feet to about 13,000 feet roughly, and it's an out-and-back course. You run 50 miles out, turn around and come 50 miles back, um, which is good and bad because in the first 50 miles, you encounter some serious hills, And then, you know, in the next 50, you got to come back up over them. So quite a long race. Um took me 27 hours, 42 minutes continuously. Uh, finished mid-pack in that race. So uh, it was my first 100-miler to do and picked one of the most tiredest. So that was that one. So I've done that twice. And then I have completed, I think, seven times I've ran the Ultra Trail Australia, which used to be the North Face 100. That's 100 kilometers. That's a 100 kilometer race in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales, just outside Sydney. And my best time on that is about 13 hours, 42 minutes, which places me inside around the, roughly the top 13%. So decent enough for an amateur, but not good enough for a professional. So still some ways off of that. Um, And I've also completed the twice. I've completed the Cradle Run, the Cradle Mountain Run in Tasmania, which is about 82 k's. Uh, It's an unsupported race, so which means you don't have any checkpoints as such. You just basically drink, bring your food and water for the day, and you start at half five in the morning, and you got to get to the other side of the mountain as quickly as possible. So I think I did that in about 12 hours for the 82 k's, and then. I've done some smaller ones which are 50k races, 64k races here in Perth, and then a bunch of marathons as well and lots of uh, trail runs. So probably roughly over about 20 ultramarathons, maybe about 10 marathons and maybe another 10 or 20 half marathons.
1: Which is really impressive but but hugely beneficial for me to be able to pick your brains about it because uh, I'm about 4 weeks in to my first uh, to my first marathon uh, training program. Um, and it's a bit of an accelerated program, and, and as you know from jiu-jitsu, um, built a bit more for power as opposed to the uh, the long-term endurance. So it's definitely been a different, a different animal for me to sort of undergo. Um, but I guess I, the most important thing, I, I guess, how do you approach um, your endurance training uh, in terms of structuring it out? Now, I've had a chat with a pro triathlete and a, and a marathon runner who is a, quite a high-level physiotherapist, and they both gave the same advice no more than, 10% increase per week. Yeah. Um, but coming from a background of no running, if I only went up by 10%, starting where, where I started, there's no way I'd be able to get to a marathon in 12 weeks. So I, I am jumping up more, um, and I'm sort of accepting that increased risk of injury. Um, but I want to do it as safely as possible. Did you sort of um, do the same thing? I mean, you're talking about a 160-kilometer run. Um, how can you only increase by you know 10%? Um, per week, uh, or, or you know, I guess 10% increase in uh, volume per week, if, if your end goal is 160 kilometers. Are you working off a significantly lower um, weekly uh, volume compared to the race itself? Or how does that sort of work for you structure-wise?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I think you have to think about the distance of the race that you're going to undertake as definitely a factor. However that doesn't mean you have to run that distance every single time you walk outside the door. So, for example, if you're running a 10K, you don't have to run 10Ks every time at your fastest 10K every time. So, um, the longer you go in terms of distance, um, when you start moving up even to, I would say, from marathon and above, you don't have to run 42Ks each time you walk out the door. Um, And I would actually suggest that for a marathon training, training, you do not have to run more than 32 Ks in one go. So I've done a three-hour, eight-minute marathon, and I've never ran more than 32 Ks training for that. Yeah. So your your kilometers across the week, I think, yeah, there's a chance that you might go up by maybe 15% some weeks or 20%, but it's all about the ebb and flow of that training cycle as well. And in general, what you're looking for, I would say, over over the cycle is probably a gradual increase of of 10%. Now, the other thing, Nevin, is that most people to do their first marathon are going to probably do a minimum of 16 weeks, if not even 24 weeks. You were trying to do it in 12. Yes. Which is probably a bit stupid, but that's okay. You're going to do the challenge, which is good. So you're going to try and have a bit more great determination to overcome it. So I think you need to uh, also think about the potential for you to be power walking as it's your first marathon you're not doing a full training cycle plus you're not the skinniest of guys or the smallest of guys. So you're going to find a harder than I would. So I think you need to think about building some other strategies as well in terms of, of power walking. But for me to come back onto your original question, if I'm training for a hundred kilometer race, I, I wouldn't run more than 60 Ks in one go. My average weekly kilometers for a hundred kilometer race is somewhere. It's going to peak at about 75 to 80 max.
1: Okay. All right. So you're right. actually only working that, you know, around that 75% um, of the actual yeah. race, but spread over the whole week. Yes. And are you are you taking the same approach that I've been given from um, from the marathon runners before where they said, you know, two to three short runs, one, one long run, trying to give yourself at least one day rest in between runs?
0: Yeah, roughly. I would say, so when I was training, let's say, for any of those 100k rests or Leadville, I was doing... <laughs> probably stupid training, but I was probably doing four to five runs a week. One to two kind of strength and conditioning sessions, plus two jiu-jitsu sessions. So on my days off of running, I was still doing something else. But then I was also trying to build in some running into those. So for example, on a Monday, I might run eight kilometers. On a Tuesday, I'm going to CrossFit, but it was six kilometers away. So I would run to CrossFit, do the CrossFit session and run home. The Wednesday session might be running again. It might be only 5Ks. So on this day, I might do two of these I might do running and then jiu-jitsu in the evening. Thursday, it might be 12K run. Friday, it might be 5K run and CrossFit. And then Saturday, it might be the big long run of 40Ks and then Sunday off, as an example. But I'd always have a minimum of one day off a week. But that was generally kind of the the rough cycle I would go on. And then in some cases, I actually had it sometimes a day off or a lower day every fourth day as well which is another strategy i used when i was training for leadville which was basically i would go hard for three days and then on the fourth day it would be like even just a five or six k very easy run then another do it another three days and then have a full day off yeah
1: okay um that that definitely makes sense i I guess at the moment I've been doing sort of uh, two to three shorter runs, one long run each week. Each week was getting more and more uh, of volume. Uh, my fourth week, which was uh, just finished up, uh, was my deload week where I backed the the overall volume down a little bit just to let the body feel good. And it was it must have worked because actually on my my final run on the deload week, I felt fantastic. It was just a short one, uh, five or six Ks. And I felt like I could have gone for 10 or 15 at a good pace. Like I just had no dramas at all. So definitely taking my deload seriously. Um, and, and I am enjoying um, sort of trying to figure out my my, my pacing myself. That's probably been one of the hardest things is is, is picking a pace and, and trying to stick to it for a, a, a period of time. I, I sometimes get into a good rhythm and sometimes I'm all over the shop. So do you have any good um, tricks for that? I mean, at the moment, I just listen to to, to podcasts when I run because I tried listening to music and a good song would come on and I'd end up
0: picking yeah, yeah. up
1: my pace and burning out.
0: Yeah. Um, I think basically just to keep an eye on the watch is what I would say. So look for an average pace. Um, So if you want to do like five and a half minute case, six minute case, four and a half minute, whatever it is, and try to stick on that. So look at your, uh, if you can set the watch, what I used to do was set the watch for my current speed. So I'm currently running at four minutes, 32 seconds, but my average speed so far since I started is four minutes, 10 seconds. So I go, right, I'm slowing off now. And my average speed since the start of the run is 410. And I'm trying to do this run at an average of 430. So I'm going to keep slowing it down to try and drag the average out a bit just to keep, keep it sort of on that, that even keel or that tempo. And if I start going too fast, don't be afraid to walk. Don't be afraid to stop and start power walking because power walking is a great strategy and I think it's underutilized on a lot of runners. Now I would make two claims. I would make, I'll make two statements here. Number one, I'm not running coach. And number two, I predominantly did off-road mountain type running. So that's where power walk becomes benef- very beneficial because you can't run up a lot of these big hills. You have to just power hike these things. And you're generally nine times out of 10 wearing a backpack as well. So I would incorporate a lot of power walking into my uh, sessions as well. Okay.
1: All right. I am um, Because my, my distances haven't been going... Uh, crazy uh, long. I mean, the longest run so far was 14Ks. This week is 18Ks. Um, I've been able to get them out all in, in one hit. Um, I, I guess physically, the, the first part that breaks down for me is not so much my lungs and, and the rest of my body. It's, it's more my, my hip flexors tighten up to the point where I don't feel yeah. like I can drive powerfully or have a, a good length um, stride. And that seems to be my limiting factor so far usually comes at all on the longer runs around that 10 or 11 kilometer mark it just starts yeah. to get a little
0: bit tight yeah so that's a common issue that everybody has i think even myself and for many of us that spend a fair bit of time sitting in a chair like this on a computer which i do a lot these days tight hip flexors is going to be it's going to be an issue so i think it's really important that throughout the day um, throughout the week that you have a foam roller handy in most rooms that you walk into. You're constantly uh, stretching your hip flexors and keeping them loose. But I'd also consider, um, Nevin, looking at the way you run because this was something that changed my running. I used to have extremely tight hip flexors and extremely tight ITB to the point where I would wake up in the middle of the night in agony with my ITB. I couldn't walk sometimes. couldn't even run. And it was like somebody had... I, I can't even describe the pain that I used to be, and I just wanted to, when I used to go to the physio, I would say, I really want to just cut my leg open, and I like cut this cord on my ITB, it was that tight, well, but it wasn't until I d- changed my running style in about 2000 and probably 12, 11, 12, yeah, that I really had some of the biggest gains in my running, so basically, lots of us run up and down like this. So if we imagine this line here in front of us on the camera is the x-axis, we kind of oscillate up and down like that as if we're running along the ground. What we need to do is probably lean forward slightly at about a 10 to 15 degree angle and let gravity assist us in our, in our running as well and be more natural in, in terms of, of how we run. So I would say try to lift up through your head, push your hips slightly forward. Um, and lead into it as well, because this will really help you. So don't lean in where you crumple at the hip and you bend over, but you really want to be upright and lean slightly forward. So bring your chest forward and your hips, which will really help with your running style. Um, there is a guy that can help you with this here in Perth. Um, he's been on my podcast a number of times called Jason Donaldson. He works with Power Speed Endurance. They have uh, They do a lot of stuff around the CrossFit community, but also some ultra runners as well. And, um, Jason can help you out with some technical analysis on this. And I think it's worthwhile because regardless of your size, your training, you could get 10 to 20% improvements in this. For me, my ITB disappeared within four months and I had very little ITB hip flexor issues after that from running.
1: Okay. Fantastic. I'll, I'll definitely make a note of that and, uh, and, and reach out, um, I'll take, book in to take all the help that I can get at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, the next thing I wanted to ask you about was, uh, how you manage your hydration and, um, nutrition in both the lead up to your race, um, or during like your long training sessions yeah. and during the race themselves. So, I mean, for my shorter runs, I haven't had an issue about carrying water because the run's done in half an hour, 45 minutes. Um, for the longer runs, I was getting a little thirsty. I've just ordered a hydration vest with two 500 mil soft flasks, um, and I've been experimenting with those CarboShot gels, uh, 26 grams of carbs in the gel um, every half hour, um, just getting my, my stomach used to taking that and, and running at the same time. Yeah. Um, what I find is, is that when I take those gels, they're so super sweet. Uh, I, I really want to drink water as well. And I was wondering, do you take the gels or do you just make sort of a, a fluid mix with, you know, um, glucose and dextrose in the actual water?
0: Yeah, so I probably tried everything and I failed. So my very first hundred kilometer race, I think I ate sixteen bread cheese and veggie my bread rolls. I consumed about twenty-six Voltaren tablets. I drank everything from coffee to coke to water, and I puked my guts up at the end of it. So um I've tried every sort of shit really to get down me. What I've landed on, and it's a personal preference, is a is a product called E3, which is a West Australian-based product. Um E3 was designed for swimmers predominantly but a lot of runners use it as well um and this is a drink a powder that can um you know be basically mixed with water a powder mixed with water that provides you with carbohydrates sodium potassium magnesium so alleviates cramping as well and for me it's not that sweet so it's easy to get in and keep down so any of these kind of really highly sugar flavorful drinks i find really difficult and over time i end up just vomiting them out so predominantly i use e3 Secondly, um, in terms of nutrition, I try to avoid gels until I really need them. I try to use fruits uh, as much as possible, so bananas or even potatoes. So what I do never now and what I've been actually doing in my new endeavor around ultra swimming um, is I get those little baby food packages. You can buy them in the chemist and you can make your own baby foods. And I've been using them this year. So I think... I've consumed maybe four energy gels in about sixteen weeks training for a swim and it's mainly been things like mashed potato into these, uh, banana, rice, uh, rice pudding, mango, whatever it is, put into the baby foods and I actually consume them as I go along because they're more natural and better. So for me I find that's better and it sits in my guts, um, better and I don't I don't feel the need to vomit. So E three, my own baby food sort of mix if you want to call it that, um, and then finally gels at the very last time, at the very last sort of quarter of a race when I need them. So this is predominantly uh, my strategy.
1: Okay. Now when you're saying baby, like isn't you just puree them up and put them in little satchels that you can just take during the race?
0: Yeah. So I just, you can bite them like in chemists anywhere, generally probably around Perth. These little ref- refillable, resealable baby food pouches. Um, so I just, with a Vitamix here, I'll put in a couple of bananas, can of rice pudding and some mango blend it all up with a little bit of milk in it and I just fill them up, you know, a few days beforehand. And I practiced training with those swimming um, uh, this year and I've done it before uh, for running. I also do mashed potatoes. I make up a big mashed potato um, batch, put some milk into it, throw it all into the Vitamix, get it a bit more softer so it'll come out through the the spout and use that as well. So I use mashed potato and salt because I find that the longer I go, the more um, carbohydrate sort of foods I crave. And interestingly enough, this morning, Nevin, I was interviewing another uh, PhD in the area of chronic nutrition. So around shift work and nutrition, uh, Dr. Charlotte Gupta, we spoke about this. And even with sleep deprived people and physical activity and over time in firefighters, we tend to go for more of these carbohydrate rich foods. So for me, um, these have been very beneficial in, in having these as the race goes on and staying away from the sugar um, earlier on.
1: Yeah, fantastic. I'll definitely look into, into getting some of those resealable pouches there and making my own puree. I,
0: th- I think the, the key here in Evan is to try different things. Now is the time. Don't wait until race day. Don't think on race day, I'll just have this or I'll just have that. Practice with what wh- whatever you want to use on the day, practice with it. Um, and you generally, I would say, you're going to start – for your big long runs, you're going to need nutrition probably over about the 16 kilometer mark. You would start having to carry water and nutrition. If it was a bit warmer at the moment, I'd say over 10 Ks. So practice what you're going to, what you want to use. Also as well, same with your runners, whatever clothing you're going to wear. I think it's really good that you have a hydration pack as well. A lot of people carry little bottles, but Mm -hmm. by carrying little bottles, they can completely alter how you hold your arms and then yeah. alter your structure as well. So a lot of people hunt when they carry bottles to try and hold them up. So I think having a hydration pack will allow your back to relax as well. So um, definitely, I would say a practice with, you know, sort of race conditions as soon as possible.
1: Yeah, no, that's on its way, uh, on its way now. So hopefully I get that, uh, this week sometime. Um, and that's what I found as well. I feel that, um, it's kind of hard to, um, even with the gels just to be, you know, trying to to eat and swallow and chew it all um uh, just sipping on a, on a on a drink might work pretty well but i'll definitely try the uh the pureed foods um high in carbohydrates um see how that feels um do you monitor how many carbohydrates you're getting in the in the lead up and during the race um or are you just going on on how it feels
0: i i just go and feel i'm gonna be honest with you yeah uh, i i used to i went to a sports nutritionist about the mix and this and that and the other and i just now i just go and feel so, typically, I will probably carbo-load two days out. And so, uh, speaking to sports nutritionists about this, or sports dietitians, sorry, there is, whether you carbo-load the day before or two days before, the results are still the same. So, um, Simone at Nutrition Works uh, here in Perth, she's on at HBF, She could offer advice on this, um, and obviously, we're more qualified to talk about this than I am. But what I tend to do is, if the race is on a Saturday, I'll do most of my carbo-loading on the Thursday. And then on the Friday night, um, I will have something like maybe soup, like a pumpkin soup or potato soup um, with some salad. Because generally on a Saturday morning, you're up pretty early um, to run these type of events. And particularly for ultra runs, um, some of them start at 4 a.m. So you have to be up at 2 a.m. So I don't want to have a big, heavy stomach uh, going to bed. So it's going to be about personal preference as well. For for anybody doing their first event, I would err on the side of caution. Carbo load two days beforehand and have uh lighter lighter meals the day before um because i've done the carbo load thing the day night before at like eight o'clock and had to be up at half three in the morning and it wasn't good no yeah. gastric irritation oh uh, was yeah i probably lost about an hour in stops that day
1: oh wow okay yeah fair enough um i guess the the next question i had and you sort of mentioned this just before you know a lot of these races do start early in the morning Um, which makes sense you want to get it done before the sun's up in the middle of the day it's nice and hot but uh, with our last podcast you had mentioned that just naturally on body cycle um, your body is really awake and able to perform quite well uh, in the uh, early evenings late afternoons um, in terms of lifting weights um, for performance is it the same with running Uh, like if I wait to do evening runs will my body be more awake feel better then compared to doing morning runs or should I be focusing on specificity now and doing all my training first thing in the morning before it gets too warm
0: so yeah it's an interesting question and it's probably a number of different variables you have to take into account so number one I would ask you when is the race what time of day is the race on it
1: oh it's I mean it's it's whenever I want to do it I'm just doing it by myself
0: oh so you're just going to run it okay I'm just going to
1: run a marathon it was more a personal goal I want to run a marathon so I'm just going to head outside whenever I want to and 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 have at it
0: yeah. Okay, cool. So what, uh, I would say pick a time now because you need to train around that time. So it's going to be 7 o'clock in the morning, you're going to start, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, whatever it's going to be. So do you have a time in mind at the moment?
1: Um, again, I've been running all over the shop. So I was thinking yeah. about a morning run um, just yeah. to get it done early, sort of like a 7 or an 8 a.m. start, um, finish before midday um, uh, was the plan. But a couple of my evening runs have been feeling really good recently. So, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm torn.
0: So if I had to pick a time, and because you can pick a time, I would say pick the afternoon. So what I would say is probably start around between four and five, because you're going to be able to take advantage of your highest alertness. You've had a chance that day to hydrate adequately, have a coffee, whatever you like to do. You've got a chance to go to the bathroom, whatever it's going to be. And because this time of year, and because you're going to be doing it in a few months, it's not going to be that hot. So you don't really have to worry about time of day in terms of heat, because if you're gonna do it in like eight weeks time, it's most likely gonna be somewhere between sixteen to twenty degrees. Yeah. Um. So you're not gonna to have to worry about that. So I would I would do that. The only thing you want to bear in mind is probably light cycle, um, light availability, as in it's gonna get dark probably earlier. Um. So you might want to think about that. But if I had to pick a time, I would probably start at half four. And actually, okay. when I was in Europe um, six, seven months ago on holidays, the Stockholm half marathon was on. I was in Stockholm in Sweden, and that started at 5 o'clock. And I was like, ooh, this is very civilized because you have a chance to go through your day, hydrate, feed, go to the bathroom, whatever it is. So I, if I had to pick a time to do a marathon, it would definitely be around 4 to 5.
1: Perfect. All right, I'll start uh, moving on my train to the afternoon.
0: Uh, yeah, so I will do that because you're going, to take, you're going to get your best, what we call chrono chronobiology advantage at that time the other thing as well is that that's mainly when you're training and you're feeling good take advantage of it nevin like use these things to your to your um to your advantage for especially for your first one you know many people will talk about to feel good to get up in the morning and get out of the way and so on look the evidence is divided on you know in terms of you know when's the best time to train but what we do know is that well, it's not that it's divided, but we don't see much of a difference with people that get up in the morning. But we we see more PBs or personal bests in the evening time. So we know that you're best. You're basically taking more of advantage of that chronobiology um, cycle. Okay.
1: All right. Perfect. All right. Well, that sounds good to me. I can uh, definitely shift my training towards the afternoon more. I got yeah, plenty do of you time.
0: Have, um, <laughs> do you have a time in mind that you want to run the marathon? Like a duration? Do you want to do? Yes. yes. So basically,
1: hours? I looked at the average seated a surf marathon time, which for was about four hours and 15 minutes. Uh, and then talking with Mike Laurie, who is a um, professional triathlete, he said, look, um, he goes, that's a tricky course because it's got some hills in it, whereas I'm going to be right, running yeah. probably more flat along the coast. Um, to be honest, I'm just going to pick my own course around my neck of the woods up here in the northern suburbs. Um, uh, but at the same time, I, I want it to be a respectable time. So my goal is somewhere between a, a four hour and a four hour and 15 minute, which is a 540 to a yes. six minute split.
0: So therefore, you might want to think about uh, your running paths, as in where you're going to go and light, and light, light availability. So you might even want to start a little bit early, maybe half three or three o'clock, just to give you a bit more time in the natural light. So um, so yeah, we'll play around with those and and see how you go. But I think if you're going to do that, you know, between three and half three will give you that most amount of time or that most amount of exposure that evening time for running. So, so yeah.
1: Perfect. Well, I'll definitely do that. Um, and I guess the last major question that I had for you, unless you have any other secret gems that you want to throw in my way is, um, is, am I still looking to get, you know, an eight hour sleep in, I know that you said different parts of the sleep cycle, your body is sometimes recovering more versus your brain recovering more or cognitive function recovering more. Yeah. Is there a way to sort of biohack that where I can do something or take a supplement or try to go to sleep at a different time where it's going to recover my body more physically so I can get out and do this, these runs more efficiently.
0: Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the word biohack, but okay. um, I'm a fan of the word what I can do. Uh, <laughs> Cause I think biohack people think like, Ooh, I'm, I'm going against like biology here and I'm cheating the whole system. So let's look at what we can do to help. So I would definitely say, uh, the first thing will be around caffeine levels, which we may have spoken about the last time there's no over- con- uh, consumption of caffeine during the day, so um, you know' I'll probably stop all caffeine consumption by two o'clock at the latest in general. The other thing to look at uh Nevin is if you are consuming any of those gels or caffeine uh, those like little gel blocks, whatever, just have a look and make sure there 's not caffeine in them. Some of those things are laced with caffeine, and if you take on too much caffeine, you might feel might feel a bit sick um in terms of what you can do to help with your recovery. Especially for runners, I would um, advocate using a powdered uh, magnesium supplement. So something like Ultra and having this at night after your dinner. This will definitely help. And then if you're training in the evening, take um, iron supplementation in the morning as well. So magnesium uh, when you're going to bed after your dinner, and then iron supplementation in the morning. Um, this would this would definitely help. So we know that studies have shown that zinc and magnesium basically help you increased time in stage three sleep, which is really important for physical repair and recovery. So if you are looking to alleviate those sore legs and hip flexors, probably having the ultra would be beneficial.
1: Okay. All right. So you say zinc and magnesium. So should I be taking a zinc supplement as well in the evening?
0: Yep. You could take a zinc supplement as well. That would be beneficial as well, but magnesium definitely I would recommend. Yeah so okay. i think a magnesium at evening and iron in the morning so and, and so the, light, what,
1: why and the extra running. why the extra iron
0: so the iron is going to help you to um alleviate so we see iron levels get um, depleted in runners and again i'm not an expert in this area um, but from consultation with physiologists and dietitians, iron gets depleted over time as well. But also the timing of iron is key as well. So if you look at some of Peter Peeling's research, oh, University of Western Australia, he advises the Olympic uh, Committee on this and Olympic, Olympic athletes, you have to um, basically offset your iron supplementation against the time of training. So if you train in the evening, you're best off having the iron in the morning because it's better absorbed into the body. Okay. So perfect. lots of people, when you start ramping up train, training loads, um, things that will, will be depleted over time is, is iron level. So some of the top-level athletes um, end up having to get iron infusions. So regardless of their diet, sometimes just people can't absorb or they can't, they can't basically gain enough iron. So there's a kind of a I – don't, I, don't, I can't explain this very well, but basically the, higher, the more you exercise, and this is my stupid, silly way of explaining it, the more you exercise, the more your body kind of pushes away iron for high training loads and you can't absorb it correctly. And I've butchered that whole science there, so please don't quote me on that. Paraphrasing, I understand. <laughs> I'm not even paraphrasing, I'm trying to just make sense of chunks <laughs> yeah. of stuff. But what I do know is that Peter Peeling is one of the experts in the world on this, and he, he trains a lot of athletes at West, and I do research with Pete as well, and I would listen to what he says, so there you go.
1: <laughs> okay, fair enough. Oh, perfect. All right, well, we're looking, at, put some beets on my omelette in the morning, get some magnesium, <laughs> I think, uh, in the evenings.
0: So I definitely consider that I have no supplements, you know, especially during this training time for the next eight or 12 weeks. It's definitely going to help you. And um, I think, I think Nevin as well. I think just if you want to do it, you're going to do it. You're going to learn a lot on in this journey as well. I think everybody will learn things in their first marathon, their first big run. Um, Don't beat yourself up about not having a perfect or things going wrong on the day. If you have to walk, you have to walk. Enjoy the experience. And it's a good challenge to work towards. And regardless of your time, you know, not many people do these type of things. Um, so try, try to enjoy the process as well because uh, it is a learning process and it takes some people 20 marathons before they can get it down pat. So um, yeah. don't, well, don't I, get I, too stressed.
1: <laughs> I know, I appreciate the advice and I, I, I'm, I'm definitely enjoying it so far, uh, much more than, than what I initially thought when I started running. Um, I quite enjoy the runs and I'm really enjoying actually talking to different people um, about all these little tips and tricks. Um, I'm finding it, you know, very interesting. So it's, uh, it's all been positive so far.
0: Be be slightly careful, though, of things like running, particularly. I find that running, um, I played rugby growing up. Obviously, we know each other from jiu-jitsu. I've done boxing, swimming, everything. There's something different about running. There's something different about long-distance running. When you start it, you start getting a little bit euphoric. It's a bit like a drug, and so I can grip you. Um, so I'll be interested to see when you go beyond the 30K mark, particularly how you feel. Um and what your next challenge might be after that because uh you might get addicted to it the endorphins from that and the sense of i don't know the flow state you can get into running is is quite unique Yeah, and, uh, it can become very addictive uh, very quickly
1: i can uh, i can i can see that well, it's it's also helping um in this in this time that we can't do jujitsu at the moment is uh, i've dropped 5 kilos in the first in the first 4 weeks um not you know i'm not holding my calories back it's just the extra exercise. So I want to, yeah, well, I can't do jujitsu. I'm going to get down to a nice lightweight class. So I've got a good uh, power to weight ratio and a good engine by the time we get to start rolling again. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, and it's, and it's good luck to mix up things and do something different. You know, like I've, um, I'm going to definitely get back into running this year. Um I don't know if you're going to release this audio, the the video with this audio, but some people might see a nice big gash on my neck there. Yes. So yeah. Be um,
1: audio and video.
0: Audio and video. So if you're looking at that gash going, what happened to that guy that he, cut his neck did he did someone stab him i had a spinal fusion uh five weeks ago which was basically to cut you up in here push all your giblets to one side and go in and put in a titanium disc in where my disc was degenerating and putting a steel cage around it as well so uh, i'm on a road to recovery um, for that at the moment so it's going to be 12 to 16 weeks um and so but one of the things I will be doing now that I have this fix is actually getting back more into running. So one of the reasons why I stopped doing a lot of long distance running was because I had such issues with my um neck, traps, upper back, um, and sort of ribcage. So now that the C4, C5 issue's been sorted out, I can gen- I can now get back into more long distance running because I was in a I was in a lot of pain for a long time. And um it was one of the reasons why I stopped running because my my back was so screwed up. So now hopefully with this I'll be able to get back and start doing a lot more running.
1: Fingers fingers crossed for you there. And uh who who knows, maybe I'll uh, get so hooked we can do a hundred kilometer ultra together or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've seen I've seen crazier people do it. So it, it wouldn't surprise me, uh, if uh yeah, I've I've seen a few mates who uh there was a group of guys that had a few years, mates' fears go going, Oh, I couldn't run a hundred Ks, I couldn't I said, Of course you could. All you gotta do is train for it. And twelve months later they ran it. Yeah. You know, so um you can, you can do it, it's, it's definitely going to be it's going to be in the head you know. You just got to remember that when you think you can't go another inch you can just take one more step and then you just take one more step and one more step so yeah it's easy, you can do it
1: Fantastic, well I really appreciate your time Ian um, for coming on again and, and, uh, and dropping some great knowledge on me
0: No worries, hope it helped
1: Absolutely did, uh, thanks very much and uh, I'll chat with you again soon
0: No worries, thanks David